I always start with our affirmations and I forgot to put the affirmations so this is an edit of me putting the affirmations in episode 12 so here we go I am worthy I am enough I am loving I am loved I'm trustworthy I trust myself I am me I'm unique I am determined I am a leader I'm honest, I'm brave, I am brilliant. Let's have a great podcast. So we are ending uh, our three-part, we ended our three-part segment series with the wonderful, amazing uh, social um, guru and mamapreneur, Melinda um, Fladden. I absolutely loved having her on uh, the podcast. Um, she has all of her friends listening, which I absolutely love. Um, I, I encourage you to, um, if there's a topic that I haven't touched on and you're like, girl, you need to t- touch base on this, or um, have you ever thought of this? I want this forum for me to... Um, kind of think through ideas, grow in terms of um, my own knowledge of multilingual education and education generally, Um, because given the topic that, um, and the topics I discussed with Melinda, you know, there's also that social emotional learning that um, just comes with the territory when we incorporate social work and um, social services into education. Now, uh, this episode is sort of free form. I am just processing my podcast. I have a bunch of ideas of how I'm going to proceed. I also know where I want to take this. this will be my audio recording of my last two years of my doctorate, one of which obviously um, is coming up soon. And so as I'm processing um, information, as I'm reading through books, articles, uh, seeing it in practice with my current position, um, seeing the differences between public schools and charter schools, seeing how we, um, I guess specifically to New York um, and the New York system functions. Uh, Coming from a, um, looking at the deficits, but having a growth mindset, is very important and so one of the things that I want to be sure that I emphasize is that this is more about the journey than a specific destination Um, you know I am processing real time all the things that I'm learning in in education um, through the lens of the the, um, educators 
and resources I'm exposed to and continue to expose myself to, I want to give a crazy, crazy shout out because um, in real time, I was um, in a PD uh, talking about curriculum, literacy curriculum specific to into reading and um, the uh, PD instructor clicked on one of the resources that my uh, school's network has. And one of the things that was said was, um, this is a resource in terms of, of recorded PDs that you can have access to. And sure enough, as she's talking, I literally just look at the screen and I point and I'm like, is that Chris Emden? And um, sure enough, it was. And, you know, um, he doesn't even know who I am, but I am obsessed with him, um, seeing him and his trajectory in his educational career and um, have been to multiple um, PDs that he uh, recorded during the pandemic and looking at his, um, his PDs in uh, YouTube following him on Instagram, like, he is an A1, just like, thought, thoughtful human being, and just um, someone that I learn from every single day, especially when it comes to incorporating hip-hop into our pedagogy. Um, and the passion is absolutely felt. Um, one of the uh, one of my coworkers looked at me and she was like, well, that's creepy. And I said, I know, but this is how we learn, you know, um, especially because of his background in um, mathematics and science. Like I've read his books. One of the things that I am crazy about is STEM and STEAM education, um, specifically mathematics. Like that is my number one love. It's always going to be my number one love. Although in practice, I've been developed more as a science teacher than a math teacher, but um, the state of education is um, when you start to shift your mind in how um, learning happens and how kids, and especially for students and populations, BIPOC populations, um, learn best, we need to take into consideration um, their learning environment. And I'm saying that because, you know, maybe two years ago, three, even three years ago, I would have seen Chris Emden right in front of me and I, I would have known who that is, um, but I wouldn't have voiced it the way I did. And the reason for that is, one, I'm an, I'm an introvert by heart. I've always been an introvert. Um, actually, that's not true. I became an introvert when I, I started to uh, become self-aware of my just overall existence um, in high school. So since then, I became extremely introverted, and now I'm starting to find a happy median and tap into the child within me that was loud, obnoxious, and I, these are all words that were used to describe me, um, dramatic. Um, when 
there's negative connotations to these words, you try and shy away from these things. And so essentially, I just realized that I was just a very vocal child growing up. Um, and I want to tap that. I want to tap into that um, because then when I step into a classroom, I can relate to a variety and a spectrum of children in the classroom. And um, today's episode is specifically on that, realizing that um, there's massive interconnection between content and there's massive interconnection. I mean, there may not be massive, and I guess that's the wrong uh, terminology to use, but there is definitely interconnection between your lived experiences and the children in front of you. Um, even though vastly we may look completely different, but there may be some connection, um, which means that in the beginning of the year, you want to be able to step into that learner's role and that learner's seat when you're trying to learn your classroom. And I say that because as teachers, oftentimes we take that um, teacher role and function out of two things, um, power and control, right? And realizing that, you know, you either get power tripped, and I've seen this multiple times, um, and this may essentially be a bias, but it's also an observation because I've been in many classrooms before making observations where teachers, because they may not know the content, because they're new teachers, but there's also a racial power dynamic happening, right? Um, when we know structurally there are predominantly white women teachers, you start to realize that that absolutely can um, be damning to children, um, especially in inner city and urban um, settings, right? So as we move forward, as I start to specifically focus on my research, right? One of the things that I want to talk about is the importance of oral literacy, oral communication. And the reason I say that is because we as BIPOC folk have always been storytellers. I can say that sentence alone. We are storytellers and I instantly can tell you that you're going to hear that and think of an aunt, think of an uncle, think of your mom, think of your dad, think of someone in your family who taught you storytelling, right? Whether they were telling you a lived experience or whether they were explaining something that happened to them in a current moment, right? Or a, a most recent moment. You know what storytelling is like because that person makes you feel like you were there, right? Down to how they perceive that moment, the way they felt it, the existence of every single element 
whether they heard something, whether they were touching something, whether they were tasting something, right? And we teach our kids about the five senses, but we don't realize is that any time that we talk about these things in literacy, it is absolutely 100% okay to think about like that storyteller in your home, right? Imagine in the curriculum when you think about um, storytelling or main character or narrative writing, you think about that storyteller. What if you were to ask your students, who's the storyteller in the house, right? And what was a recent story that you heard of? Or what is, you can even ask them to become researchers and go into their homes and ask like, you know, um, how, tell me a most recent childhood memory or something that you um, carry to this day, right? Those things then address to you as the teacher kind of that reference of um, mirrors, windows, and sliding glass doors, right? It allows a window into the worlds of your children, of your students, of your scholars. When you do this, you are not only touching all of the things, but you're also being um, culturally sustaining and culturally responsive because you're keeping that culture alive. And I say that in my long, long rant is to say that we have to continue the work as educators, as supervisors, as administrators. We have to continue the work and always come from a place of empathy and um, and a place of, of um just humanist. I say that a lot um, because I've seen it um, throughout my career that oftentimes the more times that I see someone who I can learn from, right? Everyone can tap into their genius and you can sit in a, in a room and just observe what is this person trying to teach me. It can be nonverbal, it can be verbal, it can be written, right? But as um, individuals, we tap into the history of who we were, and you know that oral literacy and how we can really tell a story through communicating, through conversation, is 100% necessary for us to exemplify. And that is one skill that I often, I've been in many PDs where I say, or in many just rooms in general, where I talk about like, you as a teacher can observe when a child understands what you're teaching them because they're gonna talk about it. They're gonna talk to their peers about it. They're gonna say something that you instantly know they understood. And that's absolutely 100% valid, right? We are so caught up 
and so conditioned to feel like we need to need to have a tangible piece of paper with written text that we do not just live in that moment of learning live in that moment of I know this student knows it because they were able to say it in their own words right and we say we say this a lot say it in your own words but the reality is they're using their own vocabulary to explain their comprehension their understanding and if they can do that then you as a teacher have done something to their cognitive lifting right um and you can collect that data even though it may not be um qualitative but you can collect that data by having just a quick check checkbox like got it didn't get it got it didn't get it and being able to hear right using that sense of hearing listening to your students so with that being said, I want to just say that, um, you know, everything comes full circle. Um, the things that I'm learning, I'm applying. Some of the things that I know as a, a literacy expert, I am applying. As a science and math teacher, I know that being a science, science teacher has taught me to increase my understanding of teaching in general because of how scientists observe the world around them, right? And education as a whole is a system that I, as a researcher, am observing, picking apart, dissecting to fully understand to its core, while also applying what I know in practice. Now, probably wondering, well, get to the point, Lopez, what are you trying to say? So um, what I'm trying to say is that learning is a process. And as a learner, you need to figure out how you learn best. I know that me, I'm a visual, like audio, I need, I need to touch it, I need to to dissect it, I need to be able to see it, and really, like, if I don't know a word, I have to go in and really fully understand that idea, and I'm, I'm just always curious, right, so if I don't get it, and I don't know, I'm gonna tell you, I don't know, can you teach me in a, in a different way, but those are tools that you model, and those are tools that your students should be able to tap into, if you acknowledge a safe space, if you acknowledge them of being within a safe space. Now, um, probably wondering, okay, what are you thinking about your dissertation? So, um, went to a conference a couple of weeks ago. It's actually been, I think I want to say it's been a month ago. And, um, the way that this writer spoke about her voice and finding her way through her writing 
is essentially how I got my my like my aha moment. I want to be able to use my skills, the way I, I write, the way I create poetry, and create a dissertation that in real time is showing that skill of short form while also incorporating the research that I'm focused on. That is how multilingual education is one necessary to fundamentally rooted in anti-racist pedagogy and anti-racist practices because of how we essentially have dictated um, the U.S. as a monolingual society, even though there are so many languages, so many variances of language in the United States, and they're all very much beautiful. And as you learn a new language, and this is me as someone who is now taking on learning and teaching herself French, is that you have to practice it. You have to practice it every day. You have to continue to um, learn and knowing that it's going to be useful for the future. So my plan is to focus specifically on content-specific mathematics and science when it comes to um, literacy and multilingual education. Now, you're probably like, that sounds like a lot. And it absolutely is, but I am clear on my vision. I am clear on how I'm going to execute that vision. And now as I'm slowly but surely kind of weaning out all of how I'm going to make this happen, um, I think about, I think about my dissertation and what I want to be the outcome, but I really am focusing through the podcast journey. Um, how did I feel? What was on my mind? What are the things that I learned? You know, and not only am I putting a digital literacy spin on it, but will I go back to episode one? Absolutely. Will I continue to explore every single one of the guests that I have lined up for you and really think about how this podcast will be incorporated in my journey, right? I want this to be my baby, but it also is an observational tool for me. So that's full disclaimer. That's completely transparent. I'm going to re, I'm going to re-listen every single episode and pull things that I said as part of my process of creating my dissertation, of creating the books that I'm trying to think about, and how I'm going to make space for who I am, my identity, and the things I want. Also, side note, this has absolutely, or maybe it does, I cut all my hair off. 
that's going to be an episode. But one thing and the complete irony of me cutting my hair is this. I feel so much more feminine and I exude feminine energy after I cut all my hair. And I don't even know what happened in the process, but man, does it feel good. Um, So for those of you just thinking about the big chops, do it. For those of you who want to lock your hair, do it. Because if nobody else is going to support you, I got you. I got you. Um, Oh, no. All right. So I'm going to have to edit. Um, That's okay. It's, it's going to work out. Um, this is me realizing that I did not record my um, affirmations. And I just kind of jumped in. And now this feels a little funky. So I'm probably going to edit, edit this out. And that is how I feel right now about my dissertation. As I'm driving, I'm like five minutes away from um, campus to go for my coursework um, from um, being at work all day. But um, I want to say that it has been a beautiful journey, and I cannot wait for our next guest. I want to thank Melinda again for... um, doing this three-part series with me. Um, If we need to unpack anything else, I would definitely love to have you again, um, have her again. And I do have a few more lined up. I have to reach out and give um, invitations of when and how, because, you know, we're we're not, well, for the most part, uh, I'm in my 30s, but, you know, we're all adulting. So I get it. Um, so hope you enjoyed. Again, make sure to share it with a friend. Make sure you know that I am here and I love feedback. So make sure to um, tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend. Um, I will get the hang of the IG algorithm and all of the, all of the things. So let's see where this goes. Love you all.